Jesse live from the ESPN 690 and Jared Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Hey, welcome in on a Friday here. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martin along with Austin Lane, Casey Kurtz. And uh, I'm live at Creekside High School. We've got a little ball game tonight. A little rivalry on uh, Longleaf Pine. So, Bartram Trail and Creekside playing a little ball tonight. Supposed to play yesterday. That did not happen uh, because of rain. So, uh, supposed to be a back-to-backer. Now, it'll just be a single gamer uh, here down in uh, St. John's County. So, we're doing the show from the pickup truck today. Back in the Action Sports Shack studios. Austin Lane, Casey Kurtz. And happy April Fool's Day, I guess. Yeah, I mean, happy April Fool's Day. If if somebody got you today, that's on you. Because at this point in our lives, we're experienced, we're mature, we're seasoned. We should not be getting got on April Fool's Day. Yeah, I know, it's, you, I'm not a big fan of April Fool's Day, like, in terms no. of putting stuff out there. But I think I'm also keenly aware of, okay, stuff might happen. What's pretty interesting is I saw some emails going through, like, the newsroom. And even some, like... You know, notable places where news would come from will still put out April Fool stuff. So you got to be really careful in that. I mean, I can see how you can get gut. Maybe not in the sports world, although <clears throat> Ian Rappaport, I think it happened to him, didn't it? Did it? I, I didn't see yeah. it. Did okay. I think on Njoku, is that what it was, uh, Casey? Did you see that today? I did not. Oh yeah, gosh, you guys paying attention. Um, I think it was uh, Njoku like put out there that he was he's asked for a trade or something, which coming off last year wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. And of course, Rappaport turns it into a scoop of sorts because he says they're actually working on an extension. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, like, well, it's like I said, if you get got on April Fools, that's on you. I, I would call it National Cornball Day because I just feel like anybody that tries to pull an April Fools joke, whether it's in the sports side of things, whether it's in the news side of things, you bring a bunch of cornballs, and and you should be treated like such. Ah, uh, good deal. Uh, how did your um, Grammy-winning performance go on Action News Jacks this morning? I don't know. I wasn't watching it. I was doing the show. Oh, okay. You tell uh, me. I don't know. I didn't see it either, but maybe I'll be able to get a yeah. get a hold of it, Casey. Keep an eye on that. Maybe in the Casey, did you watch it at six a.m. No. Yeah, and I don't blame you. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't blame you either. But maybe we'll get a listen to that. I'm gonna try and track it down. Okay. See how you did. Cool. Will you watch the Grammys? You kind of have to, don't you? <clears throat> WrestleMania, though, you know. Oh. Tough, tough weekend for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll have it on my cell phone, but let's not get it twisted here. And hopefully the bosses aren't listening. WrestleMania is the priority. There's no UFC fights this weekend. Thank God for that. Um, there is college basketball I'll be tuning into as well, obviously, in the Final Four. But it goes WrestleMania, college basketball, Grammys. Yeah. Yeah. Wilson, we're not doing Grammy picks today. We're doing WrestleMania picks Better today. believe it. We're doing Final Four picks today. Absolutely. We've already done golf picks. Wait, are we doing Final Four picks today? Well, I mean, we can't right. at least predict. Well, hey, game, just, right? just just post my bracket, Casey. I already got two teams in it, so you might as well just post my bracket. We're all good. I don't even make any have, picks. Which teams do you have? Do you have one on each side? No, no. I have, uh, I have Kansas and Villanova. Oh, okay. So yeah. one. At least you'll end up with one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that coming up in a little bit. You know what's wild about the NCAA tournament, right? You go full, um, you know, pedal to the metal on it 
It's really fun. Your bracket gets obliterated like everybody's had, and now you're like, all right, screw that. It's, I'm done with that. And then, like, they take a week off. You know, usually it's sat- Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then because of the way things shrink down, now it's like a whole Monday through Friday off before they play again on Saturday. And so you almost forget about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're in North Carolina, where I'm certain that every show and every moment of the day was consumed by North Carolina basketball against Duke basketball. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's weird how it kind of takes a, a backseat a little bit, at least in our world. And then, oh, shoot, don't forget, tomorrow night, Final Four action. Uh, between Duke, North Carolina, which will be historic, not only for Coach K, but for the first time ever, those two meeting in the NCAA tournament, which still does not make sense. There are stats and and facts in our world that don't make sense. That is one of them. How are we feeling about the, the championship game being on a Monday? I know it's nothing new. It's been like this forever, it seems like. Are we fans of that? Because I would rather somehow swing it where maybe you have like the Final Four on a Friday and then do like the championship game on a Sunday. How are we feeling about that? Yeah, I... I, don't, I mean, I guess I'm okay with it, but it's also like a nine-something start, and the kids are getting older, so this is so sh- selfishly speaking, is that, I mean, if you're a kid and, and you're like in sixth grade or seventh grade, you got to really ask mom and dad to stay up and watch that thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't like that. I just don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of it. I still un- don't understand. I work in TV for 20 years, and I still don't get the late starts to the degree that they're late. The primetime windows, I understand. I understand where the dollars are at. I understand where the advertising's at. But I don't understand ending things at 11.30 midnight. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't see who that benefits. Advertisers, fans, anybody. TV ratings, I just don't think it does. And so I don't understand the late start time. I guess I don't mind the Monday night uh, as much as being a Friday, Sunday. Because Sunday, is it really any different Sunday to Monday? in that sense, because you still got to get up and go to work the next day, you know? Yeah, but, like, I think you have, you have the Super Bowl up for a reason, like, on a weekend. You know, you have it on a Sunday. Like, I just think Sunday is more prime time than a Monday is. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's uh, fair to say. If they were to start it early, like the Super Bowl. So yeah, the yeah. Super Bowl has it right. Well, of course they do. The NFL has it right. They end in the window of the prime time. The Super Bowl's big enough. They could probably do it at 3 in the morning and still have good viewership. But... At least they finish, like, right in that primetime window. I don't understand these other – maybe I just haven't done a deep enough dive, an Urban Meyer kind of dive mm-hmm. into why we do this. But maybe I will. Mm-hmm. I just – I mean, but again, the NFL seems to have it right in my estimation. You, you want to start at 6? That's a little bit before the primetime window. And then you end – and your your halftime show, actually, where most people are probably tuning in from a casual point of view, is around, what, like 8 o'clock? And then you finish the game somewhere between 10 and 10.30. Yeah. And that eats up the entire primetime window. Like, that's a smarter play. Now, not all the game's going to go three, four hours, but I just think the World Series starts late. I think this starts late. And I don't really fully understand why it starts so late. Um, to your point, even if it's on uh, a Monday night, doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to me. Uh, very quiet in the NFL toward the late end of the week. NFL owners' meetings were earlier this week. We talked to Doug Peterson, Shad Khan, talked to Jaguars.com. We had some uh, conversations over the week about new stadium potential for the Jaguars. It's uh, certainly a fun topic of discussion this early in the stages, but... Uh, all the moving and grooving is basically gone in the NFL. Are we done, Austin? All quiet now to the NFL draft in terms of people changing zip codes. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. Are there any other big free agents out there right now that could kind of garner some attention or not? Who's the biggest one? Is it Julio Jones still out there? 
Yeah, yeah Julio Jones is out there. Um, Odell My name, Beckham, he's the biggest. Yeah, Odell Beckham Jr. is out there. Uh, I'm trying to think. Is Stephon, Stephon Gilmore signed someplace? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think feel he's, like he did. Did he? Okay, maybe he did. Uh, Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew? Uh, did he ever sign? I thought there were rumors about him signing with, like, San Francisco. Okay. Did he ever get signed? I, I don't think I saw anything official. Maybe I missed it. Um, um, yes. We got J.C. Treader, I think, is still available. Julio Jones. Um, I think Melvin Ingram's still available, too, isn't he? Because he, be. he signed, it was just like a, yeah, it no, was the deal. Well, it was what like about Melvin one. Gordon? Yeah, Melvin Gordon's still available, too. But, like, I, I mean, like, I, like, in terms of, like, the, yeah, I don't know, like, how, like, I, I would take, like, Clowney, Beckham, and Gilmore, like, above yeah, Melvin yeah, Gordon yeah. right now. But, yeah, he's still available as well. Well, okay, so you, I ask you this, then. Any of those names do anything for you? I mean, Stefan Gilmore, for sure, if he hasn't signed anywhere. But I mean, even with what the Jags have. Well, well no, but I mean, the, the name alone, I think he's the best player out of this list. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, still got a lot of game left. For yeah, sure. I, I would agree. Like, I would have no interest really in a Julio Jones, which sounds weird, but you just know what's going on the back end now for Julio. And I'm not sure how much he's going to help this team. Um, you know, in 2022, I think he proved that a little bit with the Titans last year. I, I do think, I still find Jadavion Clowney still one of the most interesting players in recent memory, Austin. It's like nobody wants to invest in that guy. Yet, if you look at his stats and looks like how he impacts teams, he does a decent job, and you would think there'd still be upside. I mean, how old is Clowney now? Was he the 2014 draft? And he still, he just cannot find that, like, mega deal out there. And obviously a lot of that's based on production. Yeah, Clowney's 29 years old right now, so still has some time left. Yeah, I mean, I just think with Clowney, it's like you're getting good, but are you getting great? Because if you have to answer the question of are you getting good, well, then you, you can try to find good in the draft. You can try to find good in other avenues and not pay Clowney, I'm sure, what he wants. So I just think right now he's a victim of circumstance where he found himself in a market where the market went down a little bit for pass rushers, and a couple of guys kind of made a name for themselves. He didn't have the numbers to do that, and now he's kind of in limbo saying, well, I probably got to take a pay cut just because guys either want to go younger or, or, or pay a lot less, and he's probably got to have the, the, the harsh talk with reality and say, all right, I mean, I, I played with Miles Garrett last year. Yeah, that was a pretty good season for me, but eventually I'm going to have to be the guy if they bring me in. So I, I think like, he still has stuff to give. I think he's still very serviceable, but I think teams in terms of is he an elite pass rusher, I'm not sure if we can call him that. Uh, by the way, too, like it, it continues to uh, be a big discussion here in Jacksonville. I went and got my hair cut today, Austin, and I tell you, man, those guys, those barbers, some of them, they had a hefty bet. They're going to go offense or defense with that first overall pick. And this one dude, Eric, he's convinced, man, it's going to be an offensive line. Mm. Like, I don't know what, like, I'm getting to the point where I'm almost calling people dumb. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I wouldn't do that in a barber shop because um, there's uh, there's knives and scissors and stuff there, but you know, so be, yeah. be careful with that. Yeah, and I, I don't mean it like like a personal attack. I'm just like, I don't get it, folks. Like, if you're on that wagon, I just don't see the logic in it. Like, this is not a secret. This is I've said this now multiple times this week. I mean, I I can't find it. I love to come with you and find a different path, but I can't find it now. If you want to debate me, Hutchinson, okay. 
That's fine. I, I'm not convinced Hutchinson's going to be unbelievable either. I think he's the safest play on that side of the ball. And I actually think, and I texted you guys today, am I crazy to really, like, maybe would be more excited if they, if they got a guy like Walker from Georgia, even though I don't know exactly where he would go. But I think the tremendous upside, and I think he's going to be a really good player. And then following the likes of a guy like Micah Parsons and where they drafted him, where they ended up playing him, the impact that he made, this guy was all over the field for the Georgia Bulldogs when he was out on the field. Now, they had a lot of defenders, so they split up time, so his numbers are a little shaded. But if they drafted a walker and they find the right fit for him and place for him, and I know that's a big if, well, now all of a sudden I'm wondering, okay, he might be able to do that kind of damage in the NFL because we may not have seen it yet at the collegiate level. Yeah, but see, to me, that th- that's a luxury pick. Like, yeah, the the Dallas Cowboys needed defensive guys, but what, Micah Parsons went number twelve. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about the number one overall pick, the last conversation I want to have is, well, we can take them, but we don't really know where we're going to put them yet. Like, there should be a plan mapped out. There should be a four-year, an eight-year plan of when you get the number one overall pick. And I don't want to have a conversation of saying, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see where he can play. I, I, I want the surefire thing, and I'm not sure if Walker is that guy. Hey, what's the fallback position for him? What would be the safest position if you didn't know? Like, uh, because, again, I was listening to, I don't know what show. Maybe it was on ESPN. They did, like, uh, it was the McShay and Kuiper and your guy Tannenbaum and Field Yates, and they were doing, like, Don't call my guy, though, you know. And, uh, and so I was, I was listening to them have conversations about various players, but the Walker um, pick, like, I think I was listening to McShay say, hey, man, he'll be fine on the edge. Like, he will be fine on the edge. And I remember the Jags obviously had a big player on the edge in Calais Campbell, and that worked out okay. Now, this is going to be a different defense. So, like, as a fallback, even if you took him, let's just say he, he was like the sixth pick and the Jags weren't taking number one overall. Could you fit him into this defense somewhere and be safe instead of having to project where he might fit the best? I mean, he's 6'5", 272 right now, or at least the last time he went at the combine. Now, maybe he's dropped, maybe he's gained. From a three, four outside linebacker standpoint, one would say, well, that's kind of heavy to be playing outside linebacker. Because a part of what comes with the territory is having you drop back into zone coverage. Sometimes you take the tight end man. Sometimes you have to take the, the, like the, the, the back on a wheel route. I'm not sure. Like, and I get that the speed is there. I mean, he ran a 4-5-1. Okay, that's, that's respectable for sure. But can he keep up with a guy running a wheel route? I know Micah Parsons can. I'm not sure if Trevon Walker can. Okay, so then we ask the question, if he's not playing outside linebacker, well, then do you move him in on a base defense at a 3-4? Do you move him to a big defensive end? Okay. But he's like Clayus Campbell, but he doesn't weigh as much as Clayus Campbell. Yeah, Clayus Campbell was like 300 pounds. Trevon Walker, once again, his last time he weighed in was 272 pounds. So now he's a little on the lighter side. So now do you just say, okay, well, do we just slowly bring him along and only have him in on pass rush packages? Well, now you're taking the number one overall pick, and he's going to contribute maybe, what, 30%, 40% of your defensive reps? I'm not sure if I'm that confident with that, if that's going to be your number one overall pick. What's the ideal outside backer height and weight. I mean, we're talking 6'5", 245, 250, like you? Um, yeah, I mean, it can, it, it can vary. Like, I think, you know, like you got a guy like Von Miller, he's a little undersized. Like, all right, T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt's probably 6'5", what, 245, 250? Is that what he is? Yeah, that's that's probably, I would say, in, in the ideal range. Um, you're, you're big enough where you can set the edge and stand up in the run game. You're obviously fast enough and quick enough where if you have to work a pass rush move, you can. 
And I think you're agile enough at 250-something pounds where if you have to drop back into coverage, you can as well. Let me ask you this, Austin. I'm looking up Josh Allen right now. I thought he was, I think he's moved around, so I'm not sure this bio page is exactly where he's at right now. But it, it says 6'5", 262 for Josh Allen. Yeah. Josh, just, Josh Allen. Well, I think that was when he was a, like the 4'3 the, the outside guy. I think he's lost some weight since then. Because I kind of feel like you're right. I think he's played a little more toward 250. Yeah, because remember there was the whole thing where he put on a bunch of weight and he was wearing, like, the Black Panther costume and all that stuff. And then, like, kind of the, the talk of the town this past training camp was he looks a little leaner, looks a little quicker. So I would say he's probably more in the 250 range right now. Yeah. Uh, I just look at it. I mean, that, I don't know. Sometimes 270 doesn't – sometimes 270 looks 260 or 260 looks 250. Like, I wouldn't have guessed Josh was 260, uh, but you're right. He might have lost some of that. And I'm telling you, if you watch the tape of Walker and you're a check-the-tape guy, I'm a little less of that. But if you watch some of that coverage stuff, man, he just doesn't look like a 272-pound guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, do, do I think he can play an outside linebacker, or outside linebacker in 3-4 defense? Sure. But at the end of the day, like, I'm not trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Like, I mean, we, we don't know. Like, here's what I do know. I do know that a guy like Thibodeau can definitely be an outside linebacker. I do – I'm pretty confident that Hutchinson can do it. Now, is he meant for that? I'm not sure. I mean, he's done it in college. He had his best success in college. Um but that's all you're going to get because I've watched him play Wisconsin a couple of times on the inside, and they absolutely shut him down. So he's traditionally an outside guy. With a guy like Walker, once again, I mean, you're 6'5", 272. You ran a 4'5", 135-inch vertical, 123 on the broad. Like, yeah, all the numbers look fantastic. But, like, are, are we confident to say that he can play and drop back into coverage and take a, a halfback man-to-man? I'm not sure. I, I really don't know the answer to that. You know, it's interesting here in this conversation. Uh, listen, I believe you, by the way, okay? I've just been thinking about it a lot, watching, listening, and don't want to miss something here. I think this is a guy that's climbed the boards, and um, I still think there's a little – I don't think there's a big miss factor in Hutchinson. But he also doesn't scream at me elite player, number one draft pick overall. And I think we probably agree there, and I think a lot of the football world agrees there, right, Austin? Well, I think he doesn't scream elite because we've only seen one season from him. And I think he doesn't scream elite because we get tied into the 40-yard dash and things like that. But then when we see what he did in the shuttle, when we see what the numbers that the Bosa brothers put up, well, then it's like, okay, well, then maybe he is going to be okay. Like, the the, the reason why I'm skeptical um, about Hutchinson is because, number one, the age and the experience. Like, usually... You know, if you have one great season, you want to see that happen like your your sophomore year or your junior year. Now, granted, yeah. the, the defense has changed and everything, so, like, you know, you can use that as, a, as an excuse and maybe the light bulb finally went on. But then, like, when I throw and watch, like, Thibodeau and I see all that film, it's like, okay, maybe he needs to clean up the, the hand placement here or clean up the pass move here a little bit. But, like, you can see the freak athleticism. You can see that if he figures it out, he's going to be extremely dominant. And, like, with Hutchinson, you can see, okay, yeah, he's got athleticism, but he's a, he's a lot more technique-oriented. Like, he, he needs to have the perfect technique to succeed. And it's a lot like the Bosa brothers. Like, the Bosa brothers have great get-off. Um, you know, they, they, they play with a great motor. But, like, their technique 
is flawless, and their technique was even flawless in college. Like that, that was the big thing about them. Like they knew how to flip their hips, and they had like an, an arsenal of pass rush moves in college, which is very uncommon. With Hutchinson, yeah, he does have some of that. Now, not to the extent of the Bosa brothers, but he does have some of it, but now he's got to put it all together. And the question is, is when he goes against better competition, or like we saw when he played, I believe it was Georgia, you know, how is he going to handle that type of competition? Yeah. Uh, by the way, before we go to break, I know we're going to go. Uh, you were a little concerned with Hutchinson in a 3-4 potential defense, I think. Yes. Uh, based on some of his skill set. The more you watch of it, the more you've seen Caldwell's defense come around here in Jacksonville with the personnel. Do you feel a little bit better about it? Or if they take him at number one, which I believe they will on April 28th, is that going to be a concern of yours until you see it in action in the season in September? Um, it's something to be a concern of me just because I, I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to drop back into coverage. Um, you know, like, and it depends what this defense is going to look like. Because I remember watching a lot of Tampa Bay defense where I saw Pierre Paul with his hand in the ground the whole time playing a wide nine. Um, so the, they do do a lot of that as well. I, I, I truly think regardless of who it's going to be, whether it's, you know, whether it's Siobhan Walker, whether it's Hutchinson, I have a good feeling that Call was going to tear that defense around those guys. Uh, I really do. So while, you know, we're talking 3-4, three, 3-4, four, three, four, I mean, you do have to adapt around your, your centerpiece, your, your, your first overall pick. Yes, you maybe did get some 3-4 guys um, in free agency, right? Maybe, maybe you did get a big run stuffer who specializes in a 3-4 defense. To me, that's not as important as what you're going to get with the first overall pick because that's going to be the guy you're going to try to build a team around. So like, if you do get a Trevon Walker, sure, 3-4 defense, okay, maybe. But I think Trevon Walker then would probably have his hand in the dirt and not drop back so much. So th there's ways of tailoring it. It's just a matter of do you think he can fit essentially maybe what you're trying to do a little bit. Yeah, uh, well, there's a lot of different ways to go. I do think it's a double whammy proposition on the defensive side of the ball. It's not just about whoever you draft. It's also about making Josh Allen as good as he can be because he's a talent now, but he can't do it by himself. And I thought the Chargers said something interesting. They said, we're building around Derwin James. Well, the Jags on the defensive side of the ball, at least on that line, need to build around Josh Allen's skill set. And doing so, you go get help on the other side. And that's why I'm still very much committed to the fact that the Jags are taking pass rusher at number one in some capacity. I do think it's Hutchinson. I can't get Walker off my mind, though, for some reason. I said you're talking I... to Trent. <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, that would be inside insight if I was talking to Trent. Am, am I crazy to think that I, I want Thibodeau over Walker? No. Okay. I don't understand fully why Thibodeau has dropped other than the reports of are they a little bit concerned he's a me guy? We've always heard boomer bust, right? Give, give me the me guys. I like the me guys. If the me guys want to get paid, if the me guys want to get the stats and the glory, then so be it, man. I got no problem having a me guy if you're a freak athlete and you're willing to learn. I have one bigger question about the number one overall pick, which might lead us to Thibodeau a little bit, too. Let's come back. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're doing well heading to a weekend on a beautiful day in Northeast Florida on ESPN 690. I think Villanova has the best culture in the game. Uh, it, it is rock solid, and everything they do is rock solid. And what Villanova perhaps doesn't get enough credit for is they are a really physical defensive team. They play chest to chest. They don't play with their hands, but they are men out there. They've all got strong bases. They play low, 
And in basketball, low man wins. And uh, and that's one of the reasons Villanova wins so much is they're always the low man. Five of them on the floor at, at the same time play low. And they all play under control together with great spacing. About 47% of their shots come from three. And they've got maybe the best leader in college basketball and Colin Gillespie running the point. Hey, good takes by Jay Billis there from ESPN. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, Casey Kurtz here on a Friday Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Been a fun week from the owners' meetings to some stadium talk and now to the Final Four coming into the weekend. Maybe a little WrestleMania picks. Tiger Woods. Are we going to find out, Casey, today about Tiger Woods? you think we'll know if he's playing, or is this going to linger? Um, I think it's going to linger because the only thing better than knowing is not knowing. And if I was Tiger, I'd play it out as long as I could. Well, I think <laughs> I think it was actually Ty who told me. I was like, oh, Friday he doesn't have to say. But I guess in years past when it's been questionable, he's announced on like the Friday before that he's going to play. And I guess the biggest news is he hasn't announced that he's not going to play. And so, therefore, right now he's playing. Isn't that the way we should interpret it? Yes, I would. Yeah, that's how I'm interpreting it, too. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to give it a whirl. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it and see if any news comes out during the day. We're talking about Hutchison, first overall pick. Uh, Thibodeau, you mentioned Austin. I mentioned Walker. People think I'm crazy for mentioning Walker. I, yeah. I don't know if I'm crazy for it. Like, I get it. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I wouldn't put my money on it. I just ask myself this. Like, I think... I don't think this is a slam dunk as last year in Trevor, right? I, I think at times you have slam dunk nature picks. I just don't think Hutchinson, even though he's, you know, kind of snuck into that favorite to be the guy, and I agree with it, I just don't think he's a slam dunk number one overall pick. Yeah, but well, let me ask you this. And, like, I, I don't – I mean, I get he had a great combine. I don't know if it's a smoke screen. I don't know if it's bulky trying to – like, I, I don't – okay, so, for instance, for Trevon Walker, if he comes to Jacksonville, where do you envision? Like, what do you envision him doing? Yeah, that was the question I was asking to you. Or better, you, you answered it kind of. Yeah, the but, last like, thing, right? but like, I'm saying, like, what what is the appeal of Trevon Walker? Well, I think um, like, explosiveness, uh, okay. upside, okay. edge. Uh, yeah, you have to fit him into the edge in some capacity. Okay. Like, you really have to. Like you said, I think late in that first segment, you said, listen, if you decide to cater to a guy like that and not drop him back as much or whatever you want to do, well, that you might cater to it, but you're still going to put him out there on the edge in my estimation. Yeah, so here's my big worry about Trevon Walker, and I guess why I can't foresee him going number one, and I'm not sure where all the hype is coming from. If you break down the Georgia defense, that Georgia defense that he played on, they had arguably probably the two best tackles in all of college football. And it's a close third if you count, what is it, uh, Carter, Jalen Carter, who's coming yep, back next yep. year, number 88. He's so really you got good. Wyatt, you got Davis, and you got Jalen Carter. Nobody was even touching that in terms of talent up the middle. So then you have a guy in Trevon Walker who played on the outside, who rushed, who only had six sacks his, his last year yep. at Georgia. And you have a guy, you know, his, well, I guess you'd call it a sophomore year because he's going to come back. So his sophomore year, his second year, who, you know, only played in seven games but only had one quarterback sack. And then if you go back to his freshman year, played in nine games, only had two and a half sacks. So the totals are two and a half sacks, one sack, and six quarterback sacks when you're playing with the best defensive lineman unequivocally in college football. That, to me, is a little bit of a concern because I, I can say, hey, like, if you will take a guy number one overall, Miles Garrett, look what Miles Garrett did. You know, I mean, Miles Garrett was an absolute stud in college. I'm not really sure what his numbers said in terms, but I assume it was more than probably six. 
Um, I know uh, when we talk about Von Miller, Von Miller had 17 sacks his junior year, and then he had 10 and a half sacks his senior year. You know, so like if if you're bringing a guy in here to get after the quarterback, I get that. But I do have to wave a little red flag when I see, okay, you only had six and a half sacks. I mean, maybe injuries were a thing, but you played in, let me see here, you, you played in 13 games and you only had six sacks. Yeah, the, I do question making that guy the number one overall pick then. Yeah, from a production standpoint, and I'm going to go off the beaten path. I know this isn't necessarily apples to apples, but I guess I think the new shiny toy in the NFL is a guy like Micah Parsons and look at him change positions and boom. Look what he's done. The other thing is, uh, I would say versatility is king, right? You want to be able to move good athletes, good pieces around your defense as much as possible with all the changes on offense and everything else. I think that's why people are in love with a guy like Kyle Hamilton coming out of Notre Dame because he can play a lot of different things. I think that's what you do with Derwin James. I know it's a little different position, but you get what I'm saying. And so, like, you look at Micah Parsons, man. He played the linebacker position in college, and he had six and a half sacks, and then boom. Look at his production. I mean, he had no evidence that he could do that, and look what he did. Yeah, but Trevon Walker's job the entire time is to get after the quarterback. Micah Parsons' job in college was to play line, inside linebacker. Yeah, and then, and, then, and then he would blitz. So, like, you had a lot more on Micah Parsons' plate than he had to do. And keep in mind, Dallas drafted him as an inside linebacker. Now, injuries happened. They moved him to outside, and obviously it worked out for everybody. But, like, with Trevon Walker, okay, you can put him here, put him there, but, like, your job in college was to rush the quarterback. And you only had six quarterback sacks with the best defensive line in all of college football. I'm not saying he can't get ten sacks one day in the NFL, but I'm just saying it's different with Micah Parsons, who was required to play middle linebacker, call the covers, all that stuff, as opposed to just rushing the quarterback. Yeah, and I think the defense mechanism for a guy like Walker here, and as I, I know I'm trying, it sounds like I'm going over the top, like I want Walker, Walker, Walker. I'm not. I'm just kind of trying to uh, figure out and talk around what the Jags could do, and I just don't think you can eliminate the guy. But I think part of it is um, – the snap total, right, the percentage of snaps, they were so talented on that defensive line. One of the defenses for this guy is he wasn't out there as much as, say, like all the production of Avon Miller, you know, when he was out there playing back in college. So uh, it, it doesn't tell the whole story, but I think it's at least part of the story because they had so many good players on that but, Georgia defense. But if he was good enough, shouldn't he have gotten playing time, more playing time then? Uh, like if, he, if he's that much of a freak athlete and that versatile, you mean to tell me they're going to keep him out? Well, Jermaine Johnson, man, I mean, he, he, he had to transfer schools to play, and he's going to be a top-12 pick. And I guarantee if Jermaine Johnson did what he did this year at Georgia, there's no way they're taking him off the field. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, the, I don't know that answer. Um, I just know they had a lot of guys, you know. Um, I mean, I thought Davis was their best defender in the middle of that line, and, and really as it goes along, I mean, it, you've got five guys that are almost just as good, if not better. Uh, than That's how talented they were on that side of the football. So it, you might be right. Production is king, and I know it tells a story, just like injury history sometimes does too. But um, versatility sometimes tells a story too, especially in today's NFL, and, and this guy might be able to give it to you. Let me ask you this, Austin. What do we need to see from – this is a number one overall pick that we don't think is a Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, T.J. Watt. Uh, not that he was number one pick, and those guys all were. Uh, but you mentioned Miles Garrett. We don't think Hutchinson potentially is that kind of talent. Well, maybe Thibodeau has a ceiling to be that kind of talent. Mm -hmm. Let's just go with those true pass rushers, those guys. Let's just say Thibodeau. Maybe they're, maybe they're hotter on Thibodeau than we all know. Who knows? What do we have to see out of that position in year one 
what kind of production is going to be acceptable out of a number one overall pick in a position that sometimes takes guys to grow a little bit um, and, and, and accumulate numbers. It's not always instant impact. Uh, to me, it's simple. If, if you take an edge rusher at the number one overall pick, I'm going to have to see double-digit sack numbers. If, if I see that, and I'll keep in mind, it, it all goes hand-in-hand, hand, right? You got to be able to play against the, the run well, and you got to be able to contribute there, and, and yada, yada, yada. But if you're going number one overall as a defensive end or outside linebacker, you're being brought in to bring the quarterback down. So I think a fair estimation would be double-digit sack numbers, especially now in a 17-game season. Yeah, Josh Allen, by the way, had, what, 10 and a half his yeah. rookie year, of course. We yeah. had guys like Jan and guys like Calais, and, and they were better. Uh, but the Jags are beefing it up. They got Fadakasi. They've added to their defense. They have Josh Allen. So maybe it is reasonable to expect uh, that that the Jags could, out of this number one selection, get close to, if not into the double digits in sacks. And keep in mind, if the Jags were to get a double-digit sack guy, that would blow away their sack leaders over the last couple of years. Six and a half Smoot, seven and a half Josh Allen. That's how deprived they've been in the pass rushing category statistically, and therefore their turnover ratio has been terrible too. Hey, do you think Thibodeau's completely out of the mix for the Jags? Um, I guess I'm going to try to speak into it, it into existence and say no. <laughs> well, you I would like not. to see him in the mix. Yeah, yeah. Would, would you be happier if Thibodeau got picked than Hutchinson because maybe of the unknown? Yeah, I mean... They are jobs on the line. No, it, it's not my job on the line. <laughs> if I have confidence in my coaches that can coach this guy up, then yeah. I mean, you know, I said it day one, and then I'll say it, you know, April 1st. I, I, I like Thibodeau better than Hutchinson. Why? Because I think that the opportunity for greatness um, and just athleticism and in terms of just, I think, you know... We're talking five, six, seven years from now. I think we're going to be saying how dominant Caleb Von Thibodeau is. I can't wait till we get a little bit closer to the draft or right after the draft. And depending on what happens with a guy like Thibodeau, who could easily end up with, say, like the New York Giants who have a couple of picks in the top ten. And, and that could seem like unbelievable value. I, like, I think you could make the case, Austin, if you're a defender, if you're a high uh, defender of Thibodeau, high on the guy, like he might be the best player in the draft. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, like Kyle Hamilton, and I get the 40-yard dash now is turning some teams yeah, off. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, and I don't know how I feel about that, because if you turn on, the like, the film, like, I watched him play Wisconsin and run, it seemed like a two, like, didn't even run a four or a three, it was like a two-second 40 for an interception. <laughs> like, it was insane. You know, I still think Hamilton's a special guy. You know how I feel about taking safety as number one overall. Like, I don't think you do that. Um, but, like, yeah, as far as, like, the most complete player, I'm not sure if Thibodeau's there because he, he still is raw. Like, and that's the problem. Like, that's what he has going against him right now is that if you, like, you watch him rush, it's like, you know, he hasn't quite figured it all out yet. But, like, that's that, that's okay. Like, I, I don't think a guy like Clowney. Now, Clowney, you know, and it's kind of a bad comparison because Clowney didn't really amount to maybe a first-round pick. But, like, you watch what Clowney did. And every once in a while, he'd make a play where it was like, holy crap, this guy is going to be, like, a Hall of Famer one day. Yeah. Remember, like, the play against Michigan? Oh, yeah. When you're not, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, that was there. Now, maybe he goes to the NFL. Maybe he didn't have the right mindset. Maybe he just didn't have the right position coaches because that does make a difference. And maybe he was just counting on too much. I'm not sure. But I get the vibe with Thibodeau where it's like if you put him in the right situation and, and you teach him the game of football and you teach him how to rush the quarterback, I think the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, by the way, eight seasons for Clowney, he has 41 career sacks, and he's really had, like, 
He's had nine and a half. Uh, he started off, by the way, only playing a, a short amount of time. I think he got hurt that year, maybe. Uh, had no sacks in 14, then four and a half, then six, then nine and a half, then nine. Then whatever happened in 19 and 20 in Seattle and Tennessee, just couldn't get it going. But then had nine sacks last year, so he's got 41 sacks. But to your point, like, that's not enough. Like, if you're going to pick a guy number one overall, you need more. Uh, that's a good third-round pick, you know, yeah. Max Crosby-type guy. And, and even Crosby's over-delivered and Jan have over-delivered those kind of numbers. So you've got to hit on this. And I think that's as big of the equation and storyline as anything for the Jags. After all the misses of the last decade-plus, the Jags have to go with something that's a little more reliable and conservative. And I think that's why Hutchinson is basically, you know, a mailed-in guy to be the Jags' number one overall pick ceiling not as high as Thibodeau maybe not even as high as Walker versatility not either but I think I'm going to get this and I can count on this and the Jags need a little bit of that because they might be able to miss slightly on being a blue chip hall of fame number one overall pick but they can't can't miss on this pick being a bust they just can't they have to get some production out of whoever they choose at number one overall. Let's take a break. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We'll be right back right after this here on a beautiful Friday. You know, I didn't do this season to have a storybook. I did it because <laughs> I wanted to coach one more year, and I wanted to have a good succession plan for our program. And we've won 32 games. And my guys have been terrific. Any emotion that I've shown, it's not been because it's my last season. If you're being emotional for your, it's your last season, you're really a selfish person. Although there are people out there that think I am. In this respect, I am not. I've always thought that shared emotion is the best. And to be able to share that emotion and accomplishment with these these guys has uh, been really good. That is Coach Krzyzewski. I Listen, I like uh, Krzyzewski. I, I don't think he's like my favorite all time, but I have no ill will against him. I, I like how uh, especially the elder statesman, if you will, handle these kind of situations, questions, perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that, uh, listen, we're all egotistical to a degree, but I think at a time, Krzyzewski probably had more ego than he does now, too. So sure. yeah. I kind of like the perspective that he just shared there, and and I don't think it's really all about him. I think he genuinely means that. I think he's. this is a fun thing, fun ride, but it's good for the program. I think he, there's got to be no better feeling for him than leaving after this kind of run to have the success that they've had, Austin, and hand over a program that's been one of the most successful of all time in a good, good way. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was definitely skeptical of how this tournament was going to go for Duke, especially that they're showing, you know, against North Carolina the last time they played. And you just got the vibe that, hey, you know, Coach K is gone and he's probably not going to go out on top because very rarely, whether you're a player or whether you're a coach, you get to go out on top. And they have that opportunity now. And even, you know, even if for whatever reason North Carolina does beat them, I, I still think it was a pretty dang successful run going to the Final Four. So he's going to go out on top regardless. Obviously, you're gonna you want to add some hardware um, to make it worthwhile, but it, it's just it, it's wild how and, and like you know I, I, I'm never a conspiracy theorist saying like you know it was rigged the whole time, but man, it, the NCAA couldn't have asked for a better matchup between North Carolina <laughs> and Duke in the Final Four. It's just insane how it all turned out. I think the NCAA got everything they could have wanted. Right, they got Cinderella. 
part of it, from Miami to obviously the St. Peter's story and even a couple of others. And now they got the Blue Bloods in a big-time way, making history, Coach K's final. They already had the passing of the torch at North Carolina. They're an eight seed, which feels a little Cinderella-ish. Cinderella-ish. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a tough one, by the way. Uh, but... Um, I think it's fascinating. Although I will say this, this has been a hell of a run by Duke. Like it, it feels a little bit um, as they were like the underdog in a sense, even though they were a two seed because Gonzaga was in their pod. Yeah. You know, and but they're not really an underdog. I mean, this is a super talented team, capable at the jump of the year to be able to win this whole thing. So. Uh, but I do feel like, oh my, now the story's been pretty cool for Coach K. If you like those kind of things. But you better not lose to North Carolina. <laughs> you know, For sure. I get a feel of that. What do you think? Who do you who do you like this weekend? Casey's in a tough spot, huh? Yeah. We were educating Casey. We were trying to help Casey. I don't know what's on the line, but he's in like some survivor pool. Casey, tell us what you got. Yeah, so it's a uh, second chance survivor pool. Um, so starting the Sweet 16. So again, I've only gotten like four right, I think, to this point. But the way that works is I have two teams left to pick. Um, and unfortunately, those two teams are Kansas and Duke. So I have to figure out which one of those teams is going to lose the championship, more or less. And I think I know what I'm going to do, but I am still very conflicted. We advised him, Austin, right? We A think he bit. should go with the more sure bet here is Kansas to beat Villanova, right? Correct. And That's, so yeah, you've got to roll the dice to get into the championship part of that. And then hopefully Duke's still there, and then Duke beats Kansas. Yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at. I, I liked what you guys were saying, um, so that's where I'm leaning towards. But I hate that I think North Carolina is actually going to win the whole thing. So that's like well, you what don't have your... them, so it's not going to help you either way. Right, I know. Yeah. So I'm hoping I'm wrong, but you know, I get I just get the vibe North Carolina is going to win for some reason, which messes up everything. So no, I, I mean, like I think well, Villanova was that too, but then you know the, the they're out the I think the player now. You know, the, North Carolina is a hot team, you know, and they got hot at the exact right time. And, like, any game that you watch of them, like, in terms of three-point shooting, they got the big ugly uh, in the middle. Um, I forgot his name um, with all due respect to him. But, like, they, they got everything, you know. And I don't know. Like, I, I, I do have a, a hard time seeing a way Duke's going to beat North Carolina, especially because with the youth and inexperience of Duke, even though they've done well so far. So, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see a Kansas-North Carolina in the final. Yeah, I, I kind of like Duke here, guys. I really do. Not just the story. I, I think they got a big-time wake-up call losing to Carolina. Now, Carolina's got a wake-up call, too. I mean, they've won, like, uh, I think they had a loss, and then they won, like, however many in a row. So, um, you know, they're, they're hot, no doubt about it. But I kind of like Duke. I like Kansas as well, even though Villanova's been the best program in college basketball really the last few years. And... I think I like Duke winning it all. Casey, you're going to win the survivor pool, baby. Storylines, baby. Man, wouldn't that be a moment? I would not be mad at it. How, how, how's, how's that paying out, Casey, pretty well? I actually don't know what the payout is. It's on... Just uh, pride, maybe? No, there's money involved, for okay, sure. Good, good. But, like, I don't know what the actual... Uh, I guess I could... Hold on. Stay tuned. Uh, way, 20K would be the winner. What? Huh? Yeah. Really? Why did she ask us to get in this thing? I mean, I, I, I would have got it wrong because I would have took Murray State forever. So Yeah, I've, I've gone. This is the second chance. This was Sweet 16 only. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I would have taken okay. Gonzaga, so I would have been out. But. Yeah, I went Villanova, Miami, mm -hmm. North Carolina, mm -hmm. and somebody else. Okay. I forget who the other team was. Wow. How about that? 
Wait, so is, is anybody like tied with you? Do you, you probably don't know this. Gotta be. Gotta like, be I'm a sure, lot. I'm sure you can split it then, right? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you yeah, can. Yeah. Alright. Casey's buying dinner next week, baby, if this comes to fruition. <laughs> I would like um, nothing but cakes for a little snack and we'll figure out some something else for dinner. Alright, I'm putting it in right now. First one All is right. Kansas. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Shock your mock time. And, Steven, if you're hanging on the line, hang on a few minutes more. We'll get to you.